I'm Alyssa. I'm Alyssa. And I'm not Alyssa. And welcome to the Montgomery County, Maryland chapter of the National Organization for Women podcast, 52 Women. So this week in the news, Donald Trump's a sexist. (laughs) Surprise for those of you who haven't been paying attention for maybe about the last 18 months. Seems like 18 years. Um, (laughs) uh, Earlier this week, he got into some sort of snit and tweeted again that a woman, uh, Mika Brzezinski, in this case from Morning Joe on MSNBC, was bleeding from her face. Because she had a facelift. Because she had a facelift. Allegedly. Allegedly. There's photographic evidence of her of the night in question that shows there was no bleeding or probably a facelift. But it's the president of our country, ladies and gentlemen. He's so awesome. (laughs) And And it actually, we were just talking about this before, and I had a, I had a rant all already, but the way you just said that made me think also like we expect women to look awesome all the time women get criticized when they don't have any makeup on they get criticized when they have too much makeup on they get criticized when they start looking old and then if they choose to have a facelift or something like it if, if that's even what happened then it's disgusting when you're fa- I mean we just ask women to dress less like with a longer longer clothes and longer sleeves and then we say they look like they're not trying and then we say they're not emotional enough but they're also too emotional and I just think it's time to just say, fuck you. I don't care what you want me to wear. I don't care what you want me to look like. I don't care what you want my makeup to be. I'm just going to be how, what the fuck? Men look like crap all day long. And if and it's, it's, <laughs> it's an interesting perspective because being a woman in a professional setting, you have to find that fine balance. Because if you, if you don't care about what you're wearing and if you're not wearing makeup, wearing makeup, you're seen as sloppy and not professional. Where if you go on the other side of the spectrum, you're not serious because you're clearly spending too much time on your appearance and you don't care about your job. Um, and men just have to put on a damn iron suit, like suit, no makeup, comb their hair, and walk in and it doesn't matter. They don't have to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. So the point is he should really focus on running the country, maybe. Right. Well, And it goes to what we were talking about before, which was that people were criticizing him and and talking about him like he was saying that he was a mean girl and the way that we use female words feminine words to insult men all the time and i think that it like in your workplace situation what you're talking about right if if a man took too much time and did too much he would be considered too girly too you know, they they would come up with all different ways to talk about him. If he was too passive in a meeting, they would talk about him being a pussy, not mm-hmm. having big enough balls. It would be like a thing of his manhood and how he was so feminine. Mm-hmm. And if a woman goes in and asserts herself, she's a butch or she's a bitch or she's too aggressive. She's bossy. Yeah. yeah. Too pushy. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't. I don't understand why men can be Donald Trump and be elected president of the United States and women can be Hillary Clinton and accused of being unspeakable things that have no basis in reality. Like the, the one of when her husband was elected president in 1992, she was more qualified than he was then. Yeah with her resume and her long list of qualifications, regardless of what you think of her personality, but resume to resume, she was more qualified then. Yeah. She was certainly more qualified now, but because you don't like her personality or you don't like her laugh, you make up stories about her sex trafficking out of a pizza parlor, and then that gets someone shot. Like, yeah. and, it, and it can't really actually be about not liking someone's personality because there's no way 
that that many people like Donald Trump's no. personality. Yeah. <laughs> Even people who voted for him cannot pretend like they like his personality. It's really just a matter of, can a woman run the country? I don't believe a woman can run the country. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather have this dude than a woman running the country. Woman, whoever she is. fool. He's a freaking fool. <laughs> he is a fool. It's not even just any like qualified man. It's this freaking moron. <laughs> he's a moron. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's surrounding himself with people who are terrible. And I don't even think he can believe that he's the president. I really don't. I think as, as in disbelief as we are, I think he's in disbelief too. I think he uses TV as his refuge. Yes. And then he gets emotional. Oh, yeah. Talk and, about women being yeah. freaking emotional. He's like the most emotional person on the face of the planet. And and the thing that makes him the most emotional is when people gossip about him and say yeah. mean things about his appearance or his, his intelligence. And yeah. I, and I think in Mika's Hillary case... Hillary would just be like, all right, whatever, let me run the show. Yeah, people have been and hating me for like, a really long time. I don't think it's fine. He's just like, let me tweet about how much I hate the media because they make fun of me. Yeah. And like in <sighs> some cases, they're not even make They're telling the truth. Like they're saying, yeah. they're telling the truth. It's not about his appearance. It's not about his demeanor. They're talking about his policy, and he loses his mind. It's like, dude, you're putting the policy out there. Like, not everyone's gonna love everything all the time. You're not CEO. Well, and I also think well, people according get according to Kelly and Conway. Uh, we're not supposed no. to take anything he says literally. Yeah, just seriously. Or yeah, yeah. You just even if he says something like off the wall. Or says he's going to put in some crazy policy. We're not supposed to take him at his word. Right. We're supposed to know what he really means, which we'll find out like four days later when somebody with half a brain is like, okay, maybe (laughs) this sounds a little better. Yeah. (laughs) Well, see, damn it, my crystal ball's (laughs) burning. Well, it makes me think of when you called Larry Hogan. Like, not that Larry Hogan is Donald Trump. No one is, to me, no one is Donald Trump right now. I don't want to draw a comparison. Agree. But. Like, it makes me think of when you called him and they're so nice to you until you want to complain about something or you want to ask a question that pushes him at all. Yeah. And the thing is, that's your job. Your job is to be pushed. Your job is to have clear policies and to be able to defend those policies. And even if I don't agree with you, you should have a damn leg to stand on. And if you don't, you shouldn't have those policies in place Mm -hmm. or you shouldn't be willing to support a policy that you don't agree with if you don't have a leg to stand on. And if you don't like it and if you can't handle the heat, out you go because that's the fucking job. The job is not to have parties and to do all these different things. The job is to make policy and be responsible to your constituents. Yeah, and and one would hope part of that is also put your constituents in a better place than where they were before. Sure. Which some of these, ideologically, there are disagreements, it seems, in this country what does that. But, yeah, Hogan's office was not happy with me last time I called. And the the point of representative democracy is, like, yeah, that person might know better than you. Hopefully they're very qualified to become the governor or the president or whatever. Hopefully they're qualified. But once they come in and they're representing you – and you disagree with them, they better have a damn good explanation for you as to why they're doing what you disagree with. Like, yeah, they're allowed to say, well, I'm an expert on policy. But the next line of that statement is, and here's why this policy makes sense and will work for the state of Maryland or the United States or Montgomery County or whatever. And if that follow-up piece isn't there, then they have no business doing that job. Yeah. I mean, and I, just to fill our listeners in I had called Hogan's office I think the last time he had come out against the health care bill and said this isn't going to work for Maryland and I think that's literally what he said so it wasn't like a super strong decision but um there was a rumor that there was like a Republican governor's meeting with Trump where the Republican governors and I know John Kasich was one of them was getting together and saying like this health care plan isn't going to work for my state for these reasons so when I called Hogan's office, I was like, hey, is, um, is, is you know, Governor Hogan taking part in that meeting? And his staff was like, I couldn't tell you. Or I, I don't know. And it's like, yes, I'm pretty do. sure you know. Mm-hmm. And if you want to say I can't comment on that, say I can't comment on that. But don't immediately become like a rude jerk when I just said I'd like to thank him for speaking out. Also, is he talking to the president? Don't be like, eh. 
Yeah. I'm not sure about that. Well, the governor has a scheduler. The president has a scheduler. Every single person has someone in his or her office who is the scheduler. And if the person who answers the phone doesn't know, maybe they could check with the scheduler because that person knows. (laughs) I'll mention that on my next call. Like, that person knows. Yeah. Well, but I mean, yeah. Like, anybody who calls, they could just... There is someone whose job it is to know where the governor is all the time. That's not like a job where you go home and then you're like, I'm not going to tell anybody where I'm going. Like, we have the freedom to do. You're the governor of the state. They know where you are. If you're going to, like, a super secret double probation whatever mm-hmm. meeting at the White House, someone in your damn office knows where I mean, it's go. not like D.C. isn't, like, 45 minutes away from Annapolis. Right. Like... Right. Someone knows where Larry Hogan is. Unfortunately. <laughs> Here he is. <sighs> All right. So I feel better now. Okay, me too. <laughs> that felt really good. You want to go into chapter news? Yep. Oh, yes. So we have some upcoming stuff happening. Um, we have a chapter meeting on July 12th. It's at the Rockville Library, first floor meeting room. It's at 7.30. Um, We'll have some light snacks. We'll talk about chapter business. We'll um, discuss upcoming things. And we're also going to um, be collecting. uh, There's a nonprofit organization that was started in Wheaton, Maryland. It's called I Support the Girls. Um, It was started by one woman, and now it's grown. She has um, other people working for her. And... She collects new and gently used bras and um, tampons and pads and other feminine hygiene products um, and distributes them to people who, women who are homeless or in situations where they can't afford those basic needs. We're going to start having a bin at every chapter meeting we have, so it's something to think about uh, the next time you are out at the store and you see a, a deal and you know, just throw it in your cart and bring it to the meeting. Um, we're also going to have a happy hour on July 19th, which is one week later. Um, 7.30, we're going to be at the Old Town Poor House in downtown Crown in Gaithersburg. Um, and that'll just be socializing, fun. Uh, if you want to get involved, getting more involved. If you just want to come hang out and talk um, crap with us, that's awesome too. In-person <laughs> venting sessions. Yeah. They're yeah, fun. Yeah. With, with booze. <laughs> yeah. They're fun. Um, and that's all I got. Cool. For the I Support the Girls thing, I think on their website they said the um, product they're most in need of is uh, pads with wings. So if... You would like to bring some of those. I, I think that's what uh, is most needed. And they said for the bras that they collect, um, they look for any and all sizes. So it doesn't matter um, what size you bring. Um, any any size is helpful. And if you wanted to check them out before you come or just in addition, they're at uh, www.isupportthegirls.org. Um, they're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash supportthegirlsandwomen. Twitter at I underscore support underscore, underscore girls. And on Instagram at I support the girls. Yes. So, EB1, you were in Florida this week. I was in Florida. Uh, I was in Orlando for the now for now's national conference. Uh, I got to meet lots of people from all over the country. Um, lots of people, obviously, from Florida now. Met some people from Illinois now. Uh, I ran into some people from Maryland, New York, uh, Arizona, Missouri. I'm just gonna name all the states. That's but that's <laughs> awesome. The <laughs> we picture didn't looked like yet. there were so yeah. many people yeah. there. Yeah, there were lots of people. I think it was over 600 or close to 600. Oh, wow. I forget. Um, but yeah, there was a good showing. We had our uh, national election, so we elected new national leadership. We have a new president. Uh, her name is Tony Van Pelt. She's from Florida. Um, and new vice president, her name is Gilda Yazi. She's from Colorado. And 
They're going to be officially taking over as president and vice president on August 1st. So, some changes coming to national now. I I did, as promised, some woman on the street interviews. I can't I wait to there. hear them. Yes. Yes. So, um, we're going to take a break from the three of us recording and we're going to listen to some interviews. Awesome. Cool. Hi, everyone. This is EB1 coming at you from the National Conference here in Orlando, Florida. I promised you all some woman on the street interviews, so let's go talk to some people. All right, I'm here with someone. Can you tell me your uh, first name and where you're from? My name is Farah, and I'm from Palm Harbor, Florida. All right. How long have you been involved with now, Farah? Actually, it has just been a year um, since uh, President current president uh, became a candidate of Republican Party. I knew that it is time that we stand up and and women's right needs to be defended again after so many years, but uh, mostly because I was born in a country where overnight uh, the religious right and the conservatives took over the country and women's rights were taken away. And I knew how easy it is, how important it is, and how easy it is for them to take our rights away, even in this country. So um, that's when I became involved. Uh, Super. What um, what kind of work would you like to see now doing um, uh, to help forward women's rights? Unfortunately, we have to go back to 40, 50 years ago. We are at a point, I was actually just reading an article about uh, after election of President Obama, the racists in the country were not shy about being racists. And today, with the election of this president, uh, men and women who have been holding their views about uh, women equality, they have been shy about it. Today, they are not shy. And they're going to be uh, talking loudly. And we really have to go back to drawing board and, and start at the beginning. Uh, I'm hoping that uh, younger people uh, are know that how hard uh, now has worked for them for the rights they have and how easily it can go away, how fast it can go away. I agree for sure. Well, thank you very much. I hope you have a good time at the conference. So can you tell me your first name and where you're from? My name is Sue and I'm from Palm Harbor, Florida. All right. How long have you been involved with now? Uh, really only a year. Okay. Um, but I have two daughters who are also involved in now, so I'm pretty committed. You know, I think after the election, a lot of us sat who were sitting back decided not to sit back. Yeah. Do you think um, that has been uh, a common thread in new membership here? Um, the election has inspired people to get more involved? I think it has. I, I think a lot more people are involved and willing to put themselves out that were not willing before. What are you looking uh, most forward to here at the conference and from now in the future? So what I, what I expect from now and expect to help now with is outreach to young women and rural women. Because I think without those two groups, um, we're on a downward trend. We've convinced the urban women we need to work in the areas that we're not very strong. All right, sounds good. Hopefully we can accomplish that. Thank you very much. Thanks. I ran into a fellow Marylander here at the National Now Conference. This is Beth. She's one of the Now board members, National Board members. Uh, she's wearing some pretty cool feminist swag and merchandise. Um, you want to tell us a bit about it? I hear, I hear you sell it. Yes, I just, you know, I had some free time. I needed a little extra money. Who doesn't these days? And I thought, why don't I just do something that combines my passion with my business enterprise? And so I started a little company called The Relentless Feminist, because that's really how I've always thought of myself as a relentless feminist. So if you go to the Re Relentless Feminist Facebook page, you can find out all about my fabulous t-shirts and my wonderful hats. And I was actually just telling a story about one of the hats that we offer, which is called the slogan is when we're screwed we multiply and that slogan really came out of Florida when the ERA was defeated in Florida during its its second wave um, the Florida Now activists really got together and said, you know, this is a totally unacceptable. And so they organized and they set out a mission to um, change all the faces in the Florida State Legislature who had voted against the Equal Rights Amendment. And it took them 10 years, 
but they accomplished that goal. And during that time, they had a little campaign so song that they used to sing. And the ending to the song was, when we're screwed, we multiply. And you know what? They did multiply. They got a lot of women elected, and they built the organization in Florida now, and they just were a terrific force within the state. And so that happened in the late um, 70s, early 80s. Fast forward to the late 80s, early 90s, when the Webster Supreme Court decision came down, and got Governor Bob Martinez, who was governor of Florida at the time, decided that he was going to be the first governor to call for a special session to restrict abortion rights. And the Florida Now Women again said, no, ain't going to happen. So they organized a 10,000-person march in Tallahassee. And when the governor went to the committee chair who would have had to call the special session, she said no, because she was one of the elected officials, officials who had come in during this long 10-year, decade-long campaign that now waged to replace all the people who voted against the ERA. So the bottom line is, when we work, we win. When we run, we win. We just have to be relentless all the time. Yes, and again, uh, Beth's company is called The Relentless Feminist. You can check them out on Facebook. All right, I'm here with my new buddy. Can you tell me who you are and where you're from? Uh, my name is Kim Villanueva, and I am from Springfield, Illinois. Springfield, Illinois. All right. How long have you been a NOW member? Uh, it seems like forever. I think 1988. 1988. Yeah. All right. So and almost 30 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Next year. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what do you hope NOW will accomplish while we have the current presidential uh, administration in office? Uh, well, I hope that now can be successful in bringing women together to emp to empower them and so that they feel confident speaking with their own voices and standing up to Trump. All right, super. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Kim, and I want to give a shout-out to all the Illinois Now ladies I met at the conference. Thanks for letting me hang out with you a bunch. You all were super fun, and I think some of you are going to be listening to this, so hiya from Maryland. All right, can you tell me your name and how you are involved with NOW? My name is Audrey Muck, and I am a board member for the Eastern District and also president of my chapter in North Carolina, Triad NOW. All right, and I heard you were working on a film. Could you talk a bit about that? I would love to talk about Brazen Bells. This is a movie about South Carolina women's rights activists. And it started because I knew a bunch of women uh, in the Columbia area who had worked on the Equal Rights Amendment. And so when I began, I thought it was going to be a film short, you know, because women's rights activists in South Carolina, they just didn't seem that active at that time, you know. And uh, the more research I did, the more it grew. So from the ERA activists, I moved back to obviously the suffragists. And there were multiple suffrage movements in South Carolina, uh, going back to some free women of color who were working for suffrage uh, during the Reconstruction era, which was just amazing, and I had not heard them. Um, and it's, it's interesting, as I was doing this research, you know, at that point, I'd been living in South Carolina for at least a decade. And these were names that were coming to me that I had never heard before. And I was just stunned that they were just lost, basically, to, to history, to, uh, to women in South Carolina. They didn't know their own legacy. Um, so from, from suffrage, you know, I, I started doing some research into women leaders in the civil rights movement in South Carolina and also discovered that uh, the Grimke sisters of Charleston, who were abolitionists, uh, are kind of recognized as the first women to make feminist statements. So as they were going out in public, you know, talking against slavery, they were, um, they were getting a lot of pushback because they wanted to speak in front of what at that time was called a mixed audience, which would be men and women. Yeah. <laughs> And, and they really started pushing back, you know, just saying, well, how can we appropriately advocate for the rights of the slaves if we don't even have any rights as women as their advocates, you know? Yeah. So um, they, were, they were told that they were ineffective um, advocates for slavery because they were muddying the waters with their talks about women's rights. Yeah. So um, 
your movie sounds like it's building on the theme um, that was popular in Hidden Figures, telling stories about women in history who were often forgotten or not recognized. Can you say a bit about why uh, recognizing those women is important? Absolutely. So, you know, there's, there's the theme, you can't be what you can't see, right? And when I started working on the movie, I was really thinking about uh, younger women, women in um, middle school and high school, you know, how girls are, are strong, you know, and, and very sure of themselves. And then they kind of get into middle school and they start to really get these cultural, you know, dictates, you know, you shouldn't be that, you shouldn't be that, you shouldn't talk out, you know, and, and they kind of, you know, collapse into themselves, you know, under the weight of, of our culture. And so I wanted them to see themselves as part of this legacy of strong women in their own state who looked like them, you know, who were fighting for their rights and to give them, you know, the self-confidence to take on the battles of today and move the feminist movement forward. Super. And if somebody were uh, wanted to see your film when it was completed, how would they be able to do that? Well, they can visit my website, bravelensfilms.com, and there's a two-minute trailer up. So it's kind of a sneak peek, and uh, you can hear some, some amazing stories from some women there. And there's also, if you scroll down, there's a sign-up list, so you can get on my mailing list, and uh, I will be sending out updates for how the project is coming along and let you know when it's done and where you can find it. All right, super. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Farah, Sue, Beth, Kim, and Audrey for letting me interview them at the conference. Um, just to give our listeners some background of, about now, since we've never actually talked about this yet on the, on the podcast, um, now has six core issues. Um, that are part of the NOW mission, um, reproductive rights and justice, economic justice, ending violence against women, racial justice, LGBTQIA rights, and constitutional equality, aka the ERA. Um, And Tony and Gilda have uh, on their website how they're going to work toward each of those core issues. So if you want to go to allfeministsunitednow.com to check out their platform and see what they'll be working on coming up, you can do that. Um, Again, it's allfeministsunitednow.com. In addition to the six core issues, we also have a national action program um, that focuses on five different things. Um, There's one to end the criminalization of survivors of sexual assault and trauma, uh, ratifying the ERA, mobilizing for reproductive justice, advancing voting rights, and protecting immigrant rights. Um, And you can find information about all of those as well as the now six court issues on now.org. Yeah. I, I, when I went to, when we went to the meeting for the Montgomery County Black Democrats. I've read a lot about the um, the piece of the action plan about um, the abuse, abuse to prison, prison pipeline. pipeline. Yeah. yeah, that one I think uh, at the at the conference, I, I think they decided they were going to change the name of that to ending the criminalization of survivors of sexual mm. assault and, mm. and trauma. So... I think that's the new name of it. Okay. Yeah. It, it was, it's amazing reading and, um, I don't know, even if it's, even if it seems like common sense that, that if we aren't careful that that would happen, mm-hmm. the statistics are really staggering. Yeah. We should put, po- we should post one of the specific links, like one of the papers. Yeah, we can do um, that. Yeah, because it's really staggering when you read about it. And you, at the Association for the Black Democrats Happy Hour, you your speech had a nice, like, rundown. I mean, it's not nice. None of it's nice. But had a comprehensive rundown Thanks. of the statistics and the percentages. And it, it's, it, it, it affects 
seems all races and some more than others, which is part of the sad, you know, whole issue. But it those numbers were horrifying. Yeah, it's horrifying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So hopefully with our national action program, we can work to to end some of that. Yeah. And hopefully we can find some people to interview on each of the different topics just to get some insight. Yeah. Not necessarily all in a row, but yeah, that'll be as good. we go through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so this is EV2. I, well, EV1 was in Florida. Um, I went to the Raven Center for this awesome luncheon with Brittany Packnett. Um, Brittany Packnett is an activist. She was out in the streets in Ferguson. She is VP of issues for Teach for America. She was a Teach for America teacher. Um, she realized that she had to take action. Couldn't just talk about it, had to take action. And um, she's from St. Louis area and she went to school there. Um, and she felt like she had to get involved and she ended up starting Campaign Zero with Doray McKesson and two other guys. I can't think of their names right now, but anyway, um, working toward uh, zero people being killed by police. Um, and she talked a little bit about that at the, at the policy lunch I went to the other day where she was the speaker. Um, but in terms of women's issues, she talked a lot about intersectional feminism um, she didn't mention sp specifically Kim Crenshaw because I think she took for granted that everyone there would know what intersectional feminism was. Um, but she talked a lot about out being an ally and what it means to be an ally. And the specific example she gave, I thought was so useful. So the example she gave was that when they were in Ferguson, uh, for instance, religious leaders in different churches and stuff around the area would try to help by saying, we'll organize a meeting at our church. It'll be at 10 a.m. Everybody come. We'll make sure people make food. You guys, you know, can all come. We'll meet up and then we'll make, an, make a plan. Um, but their church was maybe a mile away from where most of the people lived who were out marching in the street. And these people didn't necessarily have the time or the means to get a mile away costs money, takes time to get a mile away. Um, and it was also that the movement was in the street and they didn't want to go to the street to the movement. They wanted the movement to come to them so they could organize it. And they didn't want to be allies. What they wanted to do was take over and do it their, do it their own way. Um, and she said, you know, the thing is, first of all, when you ally with someone, especially like now as women, and she actually used specifically the example of the women's suffrage movement and the women's rights movement as times when white women wanted to tell all women how they should act mm -hmm. or wanted to say, we have to take baby steps. First, white women have to get the vote. And then we can help other women get the vote. But it has to go incrementally. And it was rich white women. Yes. It wasn't even right. It was rich white women telling other, everyone else, no, this is how we're going to do it. Right. And and it was, right, exactly, you're exactly right. And so um, she she pointed those out and she said these specific pastors and 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 other religious leaders in Ferguson, um, that they were kind of trying to take over, trying to lead instead of really being allies, which to her means you have some skin in the game. So she said that when they came out into the street with them, they saw what was happening. They saw the police were shooting tear gas. They saw all this stuff was actually happening. So that was step one. They came out to where the people were. They met them in their place. They didn't meet them halfway. They didn't make them come to them. They came, they went all the way to where they were. And then they had some skin in the game and they were like, look, the, we have to take a risk in order to show these people that we are their allies and we're willing to sacrifice for them. And we're clergy. These police aren't going to shoot tear gas at clergy. And so they stood and held hands in front of the protesters, physically put their bodies in between the police and the protesters to 
so that they wouldn't shoot tear gas. Turned out the police were willing to shoot the clergy <laughs> with tear gas. Um, but they, nice thought, though. Nice thought. Nice thought. Nice thought. Um, but they had skin in the game in it, and it showed the people who were protesting that these were not just people who were going to take over. These weren't just people who were going to tell them what to do. These were people who were willing to take a risk, who were willing to put some skin in the game, and who were willing to let them, let the people who were in the streets lead and offer support and protection in any way that they could. So they could use their privilege as either white people or pastors or members of the clergy or whatever. They could use that. A cat. A cat. Jump, Jeff. They could use that power to lift other people up and and they could leverage that privilege which i know we've talked about um so and she basically said look if your feminism is not intersectional i don't want your feminism right like that has nothing to do with me and that's true and it's fair and it's um something that we have to that we have to work towards and i i guess this is just to say a Brittany packnet is awesome um and she's she spoke beautifully, and she's um, really into lifting women up as she rises. Everything she does, if she makes a T-shirt, she hires a woman-run organization to print the T-shirt. Yeah. Every single thing she does, she's she wants to pull women up with her, um, which is wonderful. And she wants to stand up for Planned Parenthood, and she understands that you know she's just a great, she's a wonderful leader. Um, but also that we all have to be making a conscious effort that it's not enough to say, I care about the rights of people who are not this, not exactly the same as I, not a, not white cisgender straight woman, mm -hmm. whatever, that we're not only willing to say I'm friends with those people or I care about those rights, but that we're willing to put some skin in the game where we can, that we're willing to leverage our privilege where we can to help them. Um, and that we're willing to, get behind them and let them take the lead yeah. and you know it was anyway it was a really inspiring speech she gave and and she also um say say what you're i don't want to no i was gonna say like it's like that and i don't know if this was a real picture or not it could have been faked so disclaimer but after the woman's march there was a picture going around on facebook and it was a black woman holding a sign that said oh so i'll see you i'll see all of you nice white ladies at the next black lives matter march yeah, yeah. and yeah, that speaks to what you're saying. Like, it, you know, what was it? 54% of white women voted for Donald Trump. Yeah. Yep. And 94% or 96% of African American women voted for Hillary. Like, we did this. Yeah. Like, we need to get us out of this by being intersectional because this election is proof that a lot of women are pro, pro women's rights, but white women's rights. Right. Because. As white women, this is going to affect us less than African-American women or Hispanic women, just based on right. many, many statistics. And the way forward needs to be intersectional. Right. Um, yeah. Very well I said. I agree. Very well said. <laughs> Very well said. Um, and we also have to look at things not just as, like, so she was talking about Charlena Lyles, the pregnant yes. woman who was shot by police when she called them for help. Um, and about saying her name and about keeping her name out there and about talking about this. And yes, it's a it's a black woman's issue. And yes, it's a black person's issue. And yes, it's a woman's issue. And so, yes, you're going to come at it from wherever you come at it, but it's it's for all of us. And just be, you know, I'm, I'm Latina, half Latina and half white Jewish woman. And when, but when you look at me for all intents and purposes, when people look at me, they don't, they see a white woman, I think, basically. And I don't think that there's any chance that I call the police to my house for help and they shoot me mm -hmm. because they think that I'm, that, you know, but it's more did it happen because she is black? Absolutely. But also she's a woman. So that's our problem. You know, it's it's our problem too. Even if the primary reason that she was shot because she's a woman of color, that we still have to see it as a woman's issue and, and be able to help um, 
move the make move the stop. needle there and make it stop. Yeah, absolutely. Like she she was a mentally ill woman who called the police for help and they killed her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's not acceptable. No. It's just not acceptable. No. Um, Although it's not even shocking anymore. No, no. It's like, how many more times does this have to happen? Right. And how many more times do the police either not have to get charged or just get be off. acquitted? Yeah. Like, yeah. so that's a whole other. Right. <laughs> right. Um, oh, and the other thing she was talking about was about building networks of activism. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was really relevant to Montgomery County and to our mission as a chapter because we are a diverse chapter in terms of our talents as well and our skill sets as well. And so her the example she gave was a woman raised her hand, said, I'm a law student at UVA, I'm a black woman, there aren't that many of us, like I want to do something but I'm in the minority of the minority of the minority at UVA, like tell me what to do, basically, which I think is everybody's question right now. Yeah. Tell me what I can do. And she said, well, actually, you're more powerful than you think because if someone in my, you know, this was Brittany Packnett talking, if someone in my um, in my action network says, okay, I just got pulled over. I'm in whatever county UVA is in. I know they only pulled me over because I'm black and they're holding me and I don't know anybody here, Right. And so the word goes out and then she's like, then I have your contact information because I met you today. Yeah. And I say, wait a minute. I know a lawyer at UVA. Like, sit tight. I'm going to call her and see if she can get over there and represent you. So I thought that was like just a really inspiring, simple way that we can work as a chapter. And I mean, we have to talk about it more and develop it more, but as, as a network of advocacy and support for women mm-hmm. around the county, because, you know, amongst us, there are lawyers and writers and health professionals and all these different people mm-hmm. with different talents, different women with different talents who can really help each other as long as we know who can help and we know when the help is needed, then we can connect people to each other and it just was a really inspiring, I thought that was a great mission for a group that advocates for women to become a network of, of women who can help one another if yeah. you know the need, if you can determine the need and you can determine where the help is. You need kind of like a super um, functional phone tree right. kind of thing. Yeah. That was exactly, exactly <laughs> phone right. Phone tree. I just remembered Practical Magic where they have the phone yes. tree. Yeah. What do you need? <laughs> Well, because women are good at organizing. We're good at it. Yeah. Like that's, you know, since the beginning of everything. It's yep. right. Um, anyway, if you wanted to follow Brittany Packnett or find her, she's at Ms. Pacchetti, M-S-P-A-C-K-Y-E-T-T-I, um, on Twitter. And um, you can also check out her work at um, at Build Love Power on Twitter or at Teach for America on Twitter. Um, she works with Campaign Zero. She's on the podcast Pod Save the People. That's part of the Crooked Media podcast group. And you can check out buildloveandpower.com. Um, she's fantastic. And I, I really believe that she's um, one of the future leaders of feminism. In, in the U.S., and I, I hope that you guys will check her out. Cool. That's all I got. Thank you. Sure. All right, so I have a quick update on healthcare. Fun stuff. So last week, so the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, they take the, um, for those of you who don't know, they take any bill that Congress is looking at, and they go through, and they crunch some numbers, and they essentially let you know how much it's going to cost, or how much it'll save the deficit, but in terms of the healthcare bill, it will also tell them how many people will, will gain or lose insurance. So the numbers from the CBO came out last week, and somewhere in the realm of the bill would save, air quotes, 300, the government $300 billion, and the key term there is save the government, not save the people, $300 billion. <laughs> Because it matters, and yeah. then and that, but twenty three million people would lose insurance, 
And just to bring it back to the Affordable Care Act, when that was passed, 22 million gained insurance. So we're actually rolling it back pre-ACA numbers. Um, and just to, to bring it back to Maryland, what that means for Maryland is if whatever they're calling the BRCA, um, which that's kind of ironic, but that's there. Anyway, um, <laughs> BRCA genes, breast cancer. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so if that was to go into effect, Maryland would lose $23 billion, with a B, dollars. And 300,000 people who live in Maryland would lose coverage. It could be more. It could be less. As members of Congress like to point out, the CBO is never exactly spot on. But that's a lot of people and a lot of money. Yes. Even if they're off by 1%. Um, so Mitch McConnell po- postponed the vote. Um, I think they had nine senators. And once that CBO score came out, many more stepped forward and said, We're not, we can't support this. Um, so he postponed the vote. He wanted to do it before July 4th. It's July 3rd today. No vote. They'll do it when they come back from recess. They were tweaking the bill. There's a lot of rumors, but no fact about what's going into the tweaks. Um, but that that's the health care update. And in the same vein of people asking, well, what can I do? You can still call your senators. You still want to call in Maryland, um, John, I'm sorry, Ben Cardin and Chris Van Hollen, you still want to call them, even if you want to say thank you for not supporting this, let them hear your voice. Um, call Governor Hogan. He's come out and said this isn't going to work for Maryland. Um, he needs to keep saying that. And if necessary, he needs to engage with Trump, um, just like John Kasich is doing because in Ohio, yeah. because people are listening to John Kasich. Yeah. You know, whether or not you agree with a lot of his policies, nope. he, does, he, he does seem to care that... His state needs that Medicaid money, and they're going to pull the Medicaid money. Um, And then the other thing that you can do is call your representatives in the House. So Montgomery County, I think most of us would have Jamie Raskin and John Delaney as our representatives, because if this bill passes in the Senate, it's still got to go back to the House and pass there. Um, Political Pulse Check last week had a really nice bonus podcast that would run down the procedural steps, and it's fascinating but the bottom line is it would go back to the house so call your representatives um and the other thing in maryland because delaney and raskin are, are not going to vote for it no you know but and they've both been doing a pretty good job of yeah. standing up to trump yeah yeah but um if you know anyone in district one which is andy harris's district uh, he he did vote for the previous House bill, and I think he's pretty staunchly Republican. He's so Southern Maryland, is that right? I think he's Southern Maryland or, like, Eastern Shore yeah, around there, but yeah. he um, he's the risk, you know. So if you know anyone who lives in that district or, or what, encourage them to call Andy Harris and say, no, this would be this would be awful for Maryland because the people who would lose coverage are the people who live in those rural areas. Yeah. Southern Maryland, uh, Western Maryland, the Eastern Shore, like those are the people who would be hit the hardest, not really those of us in Montgomery County. Um, So yeah, that's that's where we're on healthcare. We'll we'll see where we go. But if you want some action items, you can make some phone calls. Yeah. And again, remember what we said last time: you can call after hours and leave a voicemail. It still counts. Yeah, (laughs) everything counts to their tallies. And they and I actually saw that um, a lot of the senators were posting their call totals. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. How many people had called yeah. them for and how many people had called them. I think Adam Schiff, maybe one of the, I think it was Adam Schiff, anyway, posted that it was entire, it was like 500 calls and they were entirely against. And he hadn't, like, that had never happened before. Was, we don't even get one call. That's, it was Mark Warner, Warner did that. Yeah. And then... Um, I want to say Chris Connolly. That's not his name, but he's a senator from Connecticut. And oh, he did yeah. the same thing. Chris Murphy? Chris, yes, Murphy? Chris Murphy. He did the same thing where he had like 537 no, yeah. zero yes. Yeah. So they they really are paying attention. Yeah. Um, and it's a great opportunity to do something and get your voice heard. Yeah. All right. Speaking of someone who's known for doing things... <laughs> <laughs> 
Great segue. <laughs> this is my favorite part every week. I'm excited about this week. I know. I like, I'm, I'm usually excited, but I'm super excited this week. I know, but I just learn stuff every week. Yeah. I just sit here and listen. I learn so much. What if this week's just like a dud now and everyone, you just built it up we and everyone's like, ha- oh, this is boring. We're going to have hashtag remember the ladies. It can't be a dud. That's all right. right. <laughs> all right. Well, can't. spoiler alert with that hashtag. <laughs> So, uh, as Jenny Rose mentioned, today's July 3rd as we're recording this, so, and it's coming out tomorrow, July 4th, so in honor of July 4th, our Woman of the Week uh, is going to be one of my favorite women in history, and I think one of Jenny Rose's favorites. I don't know about EB2, but let's call I mean, her. Uh, All right. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. For sure. Um, so, it's Abigail Adams. She was a women's rights and civil rights a- advocate, an abolitionist, a founding mother, and our second first lady. Um, I did lots of research on her for a blog post I wrote uh, for a museum I used to work at, so I'll post a link to that on our website. And our website, by the way, is mcmdnow.org if you'd like to visit um and if you go to slash 52 women you'll find all the info for our podcast and all the resource links that we talk about um abigail uh i think is just a really fascinating person in history i think she's awesome uh she was born in 1744 in massachusetts she was married to john adams who was our second president um, Abigail and John were like the coolest couple, I think, in the 17 and 1800s. They they were awesome. They wrote over 1,100 letters to each other from the time they were courting until um, Abigail's death in 1818. And not only did they write a whole bunch of letters to each other, but they had the foresight to realize maybe one day their correspondence um, would be considered important and and people might want to go back and read what they they wrote so they saved all of their letters and you can read I don't know if it's all of them or or just a good portion of them but you can read many of their letters um, online at the Massachusetts Historical Society's website which we'll post a link to you can see the actual documents on the website um, and also read um, They've transcribed them, which is a little bit easier to read on some of the letters um, because obviously they are so old. Um, But you can learn a whole lot about the kinds of people they were um, through their letters at a time when many people weren't necessarily married for love or companionship. You could definitely tell that was a big part of their marriage. Um, In their letters, they're super loving, funny cute, sarcastic, and and just so much more with each other. Um, One of my favorite letters, or the letter exchanges um, between the two, is um, one where John writes a letter that playfully lists all of Abigail's minor faults. And um, (laughs) we love that. Yeah, that's her. Yeah, no, but then she wrote back this super sassy letter responding to each one that he lists (laughs) and um she just like snaps back at everything he wrote and it's it's really amusing um and that's that's on the website i'll post a link to that specific exchange but it's a good read um through everything that historians are able to uh know about them because they kept such they kept all their correspondence and and um made that available for later generations. Um, Historians consider Abigail to be on equal footing intellectually with John, Um, and she was even like his unofficial political advisor. Um, So we think that it was just men who were framing the country, but um, there was at least one woman in the background who was was, um, helping, helping shape how our nation was going to be built. Um, Anyway, going back to the July 4th theme, while John was away in Philadelphia during the Second Continental Congress during the Revolutionary War, Abigail stayed back in Massachusetts, um, and she was 
a literal eyewitness to some of the battles during the war. Um, she even took their son, John Quincy Adams, who was a later president, to watch the fighting, which like, she literally watched the battles. Um, and she reported back to John via letters um, about the battles and what was happening around Massachusetts. Um, so the founding fathers were relying on a lot of the information that she provided so they could get a sense of how things were progressing um, with the war, people's feelings um, about, you know, the new country and splitting from England. Um, she really provided insight on, into the minds of people living in and around Boston, which obviously was a key location in the Revolutionary War. After the war, when the Constitution was being written, she famously urged John to remember the ladies, um, which we'll talk about in a bit. But in addition to urging him um, to support women, she also wrote to him, uh, urging him to abolish slavery, stating, quote, I wish most sincerely there was not a slave in the province. It always appeared a most iniquitous scheme to me fight ourselves for what we are daily robbing and plundering from those who have as good a right to freedom as we have. You know my mind upon this subject. Which I think was a pretty a pretty cool thing to do. She also wrote another letter defending a black boy's right to go to school with white boys. So she was ahead of her time and the country on both of those fronts. Um, especially the latter. She was way ahead of the country on that front. Some can say she's still ahead of the country. That's on true. That. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so perhaps her most well-known letter is the one known now as the Remember the Ladies letter. In the letter, she famously tells John that when writing the new laws of the land, he and the other men responsible for writing them need to consider women's rights. Um, she says, in the new code of laws, which I suppose it will be necessary for you to make, I desire you would remember the ladies and be more generous and favorable to them than your ancestors. Do not put such unlimited power into the hands of the husbands. Remember, all men would be tyrants if they could. And just stick a pin in that for a moment, as Rachel Maddow would say. Um, I'm going to explain that. Um, but after that part, she... She then continues with one of my favorite quotes. Uh, I love it so much, and I used it on my sign at the Women's March. Um, she said, If particular care and attention is not paid to the ladies, we are determined to foment a rebellion and will not hold ourselves bound by any laws in which we have no voice or representation. So she's basically like, Look, man, you better not leave us out of this freaking constitution that you're writing. We're, we're people, too, and you better treat us better than all of the men who have held power before you. Um, and, of course, John was like, ha, 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 ha. Um, we got you, babe. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. It'll be okay. Yeah. Um, so women are not officially equal under the Constitution, which is why organizations like NOW are still fighting for the ERA. Um Maybe John should have listened to her. That's just my editorial comment on that. Um, but going back to the point about uh, all men would be tyrants if they could. Um, some people like to say, oh, Abigail as anti was anti-men or she thinks all men are tyrants. Um, but that's not the case. All men would be tyrants if they could is a quote from one of John's favorite books. Um she and John, in addition to writing letters to each other, would also read together. Um, and, and she threw that reference into her letter because she knew it would be a line that he recognized. Um, and she tried to use a line that he was familiar with to urge him to give women rights. So That's awesome. And also it makes me think people always say, like, I never thought in my lifetime, people now who are alive now, I never thought in my lifetime I'd see a woman run for president. I don't, you know, I never thought, but Abigail Adams lived in a totally different lifetime and she thought it. I bet she thought it. I bet she knew that someday 
women were gonna, you know, we're we're gonna rise to that to that level in the government and maybe that's, someday, that's Abigail. Maybe someday. <laughs> yeah. Someday soon. We're still waiting. Yeah. 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 But I, it's coming. It's yeah. Coming. I love Abigail Adams. She's yeah. like a total awesome lady. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She is very, like, if you read about the other first ladies or the other founding mothers, mm-hmm. she stands out as one who was like, I'm your equal. Definitely. I, yeah. This is what you need to do. Like, this is, and while the other ladies are awesome in their own right and pioneers in their own way, like, she was the one who was like, no, you and I are the same. I'm just as smart as you are. I'm helping you write this, write this document. I'm counseling right. you. Like, come on, dude. Yeah. And when it shows you that. You can't argue, oh, those people are of another time. Oh, those people are of another place. Oh, they don't understand because they didn't grow up that way. Because Abigail Adams didn't grow up any of those ways. And she was ready to have integrated schools and women in power and women as a part of the Constitution. Yeah. Equal protection under the law. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. Actually, um, John Quincy Adams, their son... Um, after he was president, he went back to serve in the House of Representatives, and he was a staunch abolitionist at that time. And one could think, perhaps, maybe his mother had some influence on him, so. Awesome. Yeah. He's the only president who went back to serve in the House of Representatives. Mm. Just a fun fact. Interesting. Right, well, also, Taft. <clears throat> Oh, this yeah. is boring. No, <laughs> no, no, he I'm wasn't. He wasn't in the House of Representatives, but he was the only one who also became Supreme Court Justice. Oh, oh, I, I have fingers crossed for Obama making that list one day. <laughs> I wish. Do you think Mitch McConnell will vote him in? <laughs> How about Michelle? One day, one day, not right now. Yeah, let's get Michelle. Yeah, Mitch McConnell will sooner just die, just keel over, than ever see Obama on the Supreme Court. But. I, I would like to see it. I would also like Mitch McConnell to be voted Turtles out. live long lives, though. <laughs> yeah. Live 100 years. It's awful uh. right now. <laughs> oh. All right, well, I'm going to think of Abigail Adams this year of fireworks. I'm going to hide from the fireworks, as I usually do. <laughs> I don't know if we want to tell everyone on the podcast that story, but yes. I would like to hear that story. Yeah, me too. So, when I was three, three I'm going to say three or four because my little sister wasn't with us because of the age difference. My hometown put on a fireworks show. Every like the town did it, we did our own fireworks show and my uncle would take me and we watched fireworks. And this year there was um, an accident where all of the fireworks went off at once. <laughs> like people died. So I think three or four people died in this where where I don't know if someone was paying attention or what, but all the fireworks went off, and I, rem- and you know, we're in a field, and the fireworks are being set off on the end of the field, and I remember like running, and my uncle picking me up, and run because there's explosions all over the place, so I am petrified of fireworks, because I was in this place yeah. where like, but yeah, people legit died, and because of that, like our town would not do their own fireworks display for. I mean, until I was in high school, they started again, but then they did it on the water, so it was a little safer. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I hate fireworks. I love America. <laughs> they're very, I love, they're very pretty when I can't hear them. But if I can hear them, yeah. I, like, panic attack, like, wow. fetal position. Um, I will be, like, in here with the TV up really loud yeah. because I get... So maybe we'll watch the John Adams miniseries on HBO this year. Oh, that's year a instead. good idea. <laughs> well, Who too. plays Abigail Laura Linney? Laura Linney. Oh, I love her. Mm-hmm. She's a special education teacher before she became an she? actress. She's mm-hmm. awesome, too. She is awesome. But we've watched the first two, and the first two are pretty good. And, and they do do a good job of showcasing. Like, it's called John Adams, but she's a big piece in that. And they show her... Just like in real life. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's... Hollywood often doesn't mirror that. That's true. But they do... They show her... The battles and he, and John Adams was um, one of the lawyers for the for the British people at the Boston Massacre who shot. Mm-hmm. So he was one of their lawyers, and she they show her being a legal counsel to him, and even when he goes away, they show her writing letters and they show her raising her children. And she had her children 
inoculated for smallpox, which basically meant they they gave them smallpox. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they, they showcased what a strong woman she was. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't know if the smallpox part is true because it's HBO and creative license, but they do do her justice in showing she wasn't just some rich woman sitting in her corset. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is true that when John was away on political trips and when he was living in Philadelphia um, during the Continental Congress, she stayed at home and managed their farm and uh, homeschooled their children and, and basically ran ran all the shows back in Massachusetts. So, wow. See, we are capable of doing things. We are. For our, our critics out there. <laughs> you I do like it how you said, we are. I hate fireworks, but I love America. <laughs> Sorry, like, I'm still hung up on that part. That was hilarious. I'm a first generation <laughs> immigrant. My parents came here for a reason. We love America. Yeah, yeah. Not the fireworks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on that note. <laughs> okay, happy 4th of July. Yeah, happy 4th of July. Follow us on social media. I always forget this part. Yes. Hashtag remember the ladies. Yes, and 52 women, hashtag. 52 yeah. women, MC, MD now, MC for Montgomery County, MD for Maryland now for National Organization for Women. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and on our website, which I already mentioned earlier. Come hang out with us on either July 12th in Rockville or July 19th at Old Town Poorhouse in Gaithersburg. We're both. Just make it your yeah. Wednesday night yeah. routine. Yeah. yeah. Wednesday nights. Kick it with MC now. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. 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 <laughs>